long text. This is Let Us Draw Near, Biblical Worship and the Warming of the Soul, continuing from last Sunday morning's message, Why Wholeheartedness in Worship Isn't Enough, which is surprising, because you would think it ought to be. If I'm sincere and my whole heart is engaged and I have emotional integrity in worshiping the Lord, um, the Lord should be pleased with that. And he may well be, but not necessarily. The story we looked at last week, it's a long text. I'm going to read it right through. Not very often we would deal with a text of this length and try to stay engaged in the story because the lessons kind of arise out of it. 2 Samuel 6, 1-23. David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. David arose and went with all the people who were with him at Baal Judah to bring up the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it to the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel were making merry before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines, castanets and cymbals. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah. And God struck him down there because of his error, and he died beside the ark of God. And David was angry because the Lord had burst forth against Uzzah. And the place is called Perez Uzzah, which means break, breach of Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day, I guess so. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David, but David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months, 90 days or so. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. And it was told to King David, The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord, carrying it now, When those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. David was wearing a linen ephod. And so David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. And the ark of the Lord came into the city of David. Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart terrible thing when other people don't express their worship the way we do. Don't they know better than that? 17. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts, distributed among all the people the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread, a portion of meat, a cake of raisins to each one, 
And then all the people departed each to his house. David returned to bless his household. They didn't get a warm welcome. Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. David said to Michael, It was before the Lord. And then this little reminder. Who chose who chose me above your father, above all his house, to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord, and I will make merry before the Lord, and I will make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I will be abased in your eyes, but by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. Michael, daughter of Saul, had no child till the day of her death. Let's pray. It's always a great joy and it's always a great responsibility when we all open our hearts collectively to your word. If we read your word aright, it's the, it's the sword of the spirit. It's, it's a way that the Holy Spirit wants to talk to us. And we don't want to be rude and not listen to the Holy Spirit as he speaks to my heart, as he speaks to our hearts, Lord, just accomplish your purpose, your will and your way in our lives. Accomplish your will and way in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We've covered a lot of turf looking at this story for a few weeks now. Uh, impossible to do an, an adequate review. The idea, of course, is they... Uh, lost a battle to the Philistines and assumed it was because they didn't have the Ark of the Lord with them. But that wasn't the reason. The reason they lost that battle with the Philistines is because Eli and his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, had become corrupt in their worship of the Lord. They weren't, they weren't offering the meat of their sacrifices the way God commanded. That's why... God punished them by bringing them defeat at the hands of the Philistines. But they didn't see, they didn't make the connection between meat in a boiling pot and victory on a battlefield. And the lesson we kind of labored over on that message was there's all sorts of areas where not honoring the Lord in one area doesn't even look connected to defeat and failure and sorrow in other areas of life. But, but there's a connection. And that's where we looked at that text. Those who honor me will I honor. And those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. But they didn't make the connection. They assumed they lost to the Philistines. Well, because we didn't take the ark of the Lord with us. That's the problem. So they take the ark. They go into battle again. They lose 30,000 men. And the idea there is you can't treat the ark of the Lord as some lucky rabbit's foot if you're not obeying the Lord in other areas of, of life. Philistines capture the ark. They have it. And uh, remember the story, everything's going lousy for them. Tumors, sores, sickness. Uh, everything that can go wrong goes wrong because the ark of the Lord is there. And so they take the ark and they put it on a cart, the Philistines, and they shove it away. And uh, the, ark, the ark goes to the house of Abinadab and it, and it, and it, and it sits there. But it blesses the house of Abinadab. 
And so David says, well, okay, we need the ark. Goes down, gets the ark. But they're taking it on the cart. That's the passage we read today. Why are they taking it on a cart? Because that's the way they saw it come from the Philistines. It's very easy. It's very easy to make your um, walk with the Lord more reliant on the information that you receive from the past than sensitively and accurately hearing the instruction of the Lord to your heart today. We talked about that. So they're going along with the cart, and the cart, the oxen stumble. Cart falls. They reach out to stop it, to steady it. They're struck dead. David says, I cannot bring the ark of the Lord here. That's the story. That's where the ark goes to the house of, of uh, 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 Abinadab, and it sits there. And he's blessed in everything. And so David says, we've got to get the ark back. He goes and brings it. So you can see this whole story unfold. The first point, perhaps the central point of both teachings is this, that a passion for worship without accompanying passion for knowledge is a dangerous thing. And we looked at the instructions where God clearly says the ark was to be carried, had to be carried Ask Uzzah how important that is. He reaches out to steady the ark from falling into the mud. He does it it to protect the glory of God. He loved God. That's why he reaches out to steady the ark. But, But he makes a mistake and he experiences judgment from the Lord. Why does he experience judgment from the Lord? Was he not sincere? I think he was. He was sincere. His motives were good. But they were being disobedient. Either he had forgotten or he hadn't taken time to learn in the first place just how the ark of the Lord was to come to Israel. Carried, never on a cart. The lesson, sincerity without knowledge has limited currency with God. I want to move on to two other lessons from this text. Point number two. Notice David's response to God's purifying presence. His reaction is exactly what my reaction would have been. It's in, it's in 2 Samuel 2.9 where it says David was, see that? David was afraid of the Lord that day. If God is even, maybe you felt this. If God is even anything close to this holy and this fearful, how, how can I ever stand before him? How, how can this kind of God possibly not destroy everything about me? It's a good question. And, and, and David is, is instantly made aware that God, God is not, he's not a chummy God. There's a never dimming, never diminishing otherness about God. He's loving to be sure, but he's never tame. It is very easy, increasingly easy to, to make God over 
into something more digestible to our, our present moral condition, tastes, desires. We just sang that hymn, Be Thou My Vision, and I got the hymn book and copied the words. And there's a great line in that hymn. I don't know if you caught it when you sang it. The very first thing we sing in that hymn, Be Thou My Vision, O Lord of My Heart. And then this, Not be L. Not be all else to me, save as thou art. Not be all else to me, save as thou art. It's, a, it's a, an older way of saying, make sure, God, that as I stand here with my eyes closed and my hands raised and the band playing, make sure, God, that the image I'm forming of who you are lines up with what you really are like rather than what I think would be politically acceptable, politically correct and proper. It's very easy, it's very easy to think that God should have basically the same moral stance that we should have on a host of things. And so that's the prayer you prayed this morning. God, as we worship you here, please make sure that it's the real you. Please make sure that you have the right to express yourself exactly as you are and not how I might find you more palatably to be. Idols aren't all in Buddhist temples. We form them in our hearts. Make no mistake about it. David would have never had anything to do with that ark again had it not been for the fact that God in his mercy gives him a really practical teaching point. And God demonstrates something when the ark was banished to the house of Obed-Edom. I think I said Abinadab before. For 90 days. It's in 2 Samuel 6, 10 and 11. So David was, David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David. I don't want it. That's what that means. More trouble than worth. But David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, and the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. So David, as he keeps his eye on the ark from a distance, he saw that the people weren't dropping over dead at Obed-Edom's house. He saw that God was blessing everything. His, his crops, his livestock, his family, his household. Everything about him was just thriving and prospering. You can see that in verse 12. It's made very, very clear. And it was told King David. So this is something people could see. The Lord has, the Lord has blessed the household of Abinadab and all that belongs to him. And it's, it's because of the ark of God. Well, okay. Not surprisingly, David went up brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with 
rejoicing. So in the last text, I don't want it. (laughs) Now he welcomes it with rejoicing. And even a great man like King David had to learn the same lesson that I have to learn over and over again in my walk with the Lord. Maybe you do too. David learns the problem wasn't with the ark. The problem wasn't with the presence of God. That's what that ark was a picture of under the old covenant. The problem wasn't with the ark. And the problem wasn't with God. The problem was a lack of knowledge. And then because of that lack of knowledge, there was a lack of obedience. So so there are two lessons. Two lessons that I need to see and remind myself of. First, God will never compromise with disobedience, even disobedience located in ignorance. Obedience, disobedience, sorry, rooted in ignorance is still disobedience. And second, God always honors those who draw near to him on his own terms. It's... it's, Really one of the most important aspects of your ongoing growth in discipleship. There's this lesson bound up in this incident that more than anything else will shape your walk with God from this point until you see Jesus face to face. And it's this. How do you hear God's call to holiness? What meaning does that phrase, the fear of the Lord, what meaning does that hold in your life? I think there are two responses to the holiness of God that are spiritually deadly. A, you can think God doesn't take sin any more seriously than most of us do. I mean, after all, if if, if it doesn't bother us, it seems rather intolerant of God to allow it to bother him. How dare he get upset about something that I don't find morally unacceptable? And you can, you can play up God's love and grace to the point that he's, he has to be just morally indifferent to all the sins except the ones that still bother you. My opinion is that's one of the reasons God allows us all one of the reasons God allows us all to be mistreated at one time or another by Christian people in the church of Jesus Christ. The main reason he allows you to be mistreated by fellow Christians in the body of Christ is without feeling mistreatment personally, we have very little idea of what it feels like to be sinned against. And only being sinned against gives me even a small picture of what my sin feels like to the heart of God. This is what ought to make us forgiving people. You, you, you wrong me in some way and, and, I, and I boil over. I'm heartbroken. I can't sleep at night because I've been mistreated. And I ought to stop and say, oh, that's what my pride and materialism do to the heart of God. Oh, that's what it feels like.
We feel the pain of sin inflicted upon us. We don't feel the pain we inflict on God. And we can actually be tempted to complain about the sins people commit against us while we sin against God. And so so God allows the pain of sin to be felt by us to teach us what, what sin feels like on the receiving end of it. It's part of our spiritual training. It is deadly not to care enough about our sins against God because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. The Bible makes that clear. So that's one response we can make to the holiness of God, the fear of the Lord, that that God, God doesn't get quite that uptight. The second mistake we can make is is you can let God's holiness drive you from his presence and kind of go underground into condemnation or doubt or unbelief. David almost makes that mistake. Did you see it? How shall the ark of the Lord come to me? I I can't deal with this. We can't have anything to do with the ark. It will destroy all of us. Look what it did to Ohio. Probably there are people here right now thinking, Pastor Don, if God is even half that strict, how shall I approach him? What are we doing here? Why why did God bless Obed-Edom so much? Why did he make his blessing on that household so visible? So pronounced. And there's only one good answer to that question. He wanted to show David that he was a good God. That mercy and blessing are bound up in his presence. He's he's enticing David. To go get the ark. So what's the lesson? Yes. Yes, God is holy. Yes. He must must be approached with understanding. On his terms, with knowledge. But the reason for all of that is not to repel people, it's to transform people, it's to grow people, it's to bless people. That's why, even in this Old Testament picture of the presence of God, the ark, the ark, The contents of the ark were chosen by God. It wasn't like the people got together and said, let's pick some souvenirs and throw them into the ark. It wasn't like that. They're chosen by God. Depending on which text you read, there's some slight variance. But the ark, the ark the people were dancing and singing around was the ark full of the commandments of God. They were put at the very center of the worship of the people. But along with the commandments, there were samples of the manna provided from heaven, their journey through the wilderness. So the God who commanded is the same as the God who provides. Obedience brings blessing. Obedience brings provision. Do you see what God is doing with the ark and what he's doing at the house of Obed-Edom and the contents of the ark Since the garden, 
Satan's deception has always been the same. He has the same deception for new Christians, for pastors, for Christians with PhDs, for teachers. The same temptation. How many people, how many people will hear in churches across North America, across Canada, how many people will hear God's liberating call to obedience in some specific area of life and they won't respond because they believe the same lie that God is out to restrict their joy and their freedom and their fulfillment. It'll happen a, it'll happen a thousand times in churches across the country today where God will speak, God will convict, God will call to repentance and people won't respond because they feel like I'll lose out if I obey God. So the lesson for us today is to hear to hear the word of holiness with understanding, God's terms don't change, with reverence that leads to obedience, not condemnation, condemnation paralyzes The New Testament kind of has the same truth. I'm wrapping up. And I lost a slide, I think. I'm sorry. That one. Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God, the word of God, it's, it's living active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So it reveals things about me that are sort of deep at the center of my being, the things I might not want to think about, the things I might want to face, the way I might justify things, rationalize things. And no creature is hidden from his sight. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Since then, this continues now, right through the passage. I I, I didn't mess with the context at all here. So, we have to all give account and and we lie bare before him. and, And that's a frightening thought. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God... So, so here's, here's the command, okay? There's the exhortation. Let us hold fast our confession. How are we going to do that? You, you ever see, have, how many are here and you know someone who followed Jesus closely and now is far from the Lord? Let me just see your hand. How many people know someone like that? Yeah, right across the room. What, what went wrong? How, how do we do this? Hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Could Jesus have sinned? That's the question I'm looking at, by the way, in my Christian ed class this morning. Let us then with confidence... Here's the second, here's the second command. Let us draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And it's this, it's this sharp 
two-edged sword that, that speaks to your heart. Know it. Read it. Understand it. Let it, let it slice into your life so you don't, you don't read it in a light way. You don't read it like you read the, the newspaper or a blog on the internet. But, but it's, it's a living thing. It's active. So, so when God speaks, remember, the, the reason he speaks is because he wants to do something in your life. And it's a good thing. Point number three. Learn from God's wrath and move ahead in his mercy. Second Samuel 6, 12 and 13. And it was told David. The Lord had blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belonged to him because of the ark of God. So David went and... And, and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who, now see, when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, depending on which commentary you read, I find it fascinating that there are scholars who will tell you when it says six steps, what it means is every six steps. Think about that. Carrying the ark of the Lord. One, two, three, four, five, six. Stop. Sacrifice. Burnt offering. One, two, three, four, five, six. Stop. Another burnt offering. And what you see is... Suddenly, it's not slapped on a cart. David had learned those who bore the ark. I don't know how that worked. Did somebody, did somebody dig out the scrolls? Did somebody remember? But the mistake was noted and corrected. And there was rejoicing. And the ark was a source of joy and blessing for all Israel when they followed the instructions of the Lord. It is always that way, church. That has not changed. The covenant changes, but but those terms have not changed. James talks about looking into the perfect law that gives freedom. David learned. David repented. He moved on. And the way he moved on was offering sacrifices after six steps, verse 13. And all those sacrifices, do you know what they're a picture of? They're a picture of the shed blood of Jesus. You, you have to keep your eyes on Jesus. If you want to move ahead in obedience and in grace, in mercy, in confidence, if you don't want to throw away your confidence, you'll have to keep your eyes on Jesus. You will never move very far without him. You learn to, you learn to, isn't it beautiful? Every six steps, you learn to pace your life around the cross of Jesus Christ. You, you learn to bring that into your steps, about every six of them. The word will keep you enlightened. 
The blood of Jesus will keep you clean. Mercy without commitment to keep the word is a sentimental self-deception. The word without consistent access to mercies through Jesus Christ will lead you to nothing but condemnation and failure. That's why, even in the actual construction of the ark, the commandments of God were inside the ark. You know what was on top of them? It's called the mercy seat. The mercy seat. And the devil is happy to have me apply either one to my heart as long as it is unaccompanied by the other. It's the surest way to spiritual ruin. I constantly need the correction and the instruction of the word along with the application of mercy and grace coming boldly to the throne of grace. Those two things together like the wings on an airplane. Do worship the Lord. Do worship him with all your might. Don't despise passion in worship like Michael did. It is the surest way to spiritual barrenness. But when you worship, keep the word at the center. Know what's going on. Understand why we do what we do. Keep your mind full. Obey God's instructions. Remember Isaiah's vision? It was the very first lesson. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. And everyone said, let's pray.